0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.libertyharrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I Harrisburg.org. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Mark, when our second uh, week in a series that, uh, that we'll be in from now until Easter Sunday, going through this Gospel. It's a fast-paced series. Uh, And so last week we saw in the first chapter or so uh, that Jesus is the fulfilling one. He comes into the world, he fulfills a lot of the promises that God had made for centuries prior. Jesus comes and he proclaims, the time is fulfilled, Uh, the kingdom of God is now at hand, and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, This week, uh, we're going to see Jesus not only as one who fulfills, but as one who heals, as one who heals. And so let's jump right in. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 21, and then I'll read through chapter 2, verse 12. So Mark, chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And, she, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that... You say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, you have declared, Jesus, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. And so we ask that you would now open our eyes to see it, open our ears to hear it, open our hearts to hold it, and open our hands to serve it. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Four little scenes here uh, of Jesus' healing, and they are succinct and they're straight to the point in true Gospel of Mark, hurried, immediate style. These four scenes, these glimpses of really what Jesus did often and over and over again in his ministry Uh, They show us four characteristics of Jesus' healing. And so we'll spend the rest of our time looking briefly at each of those. Jesus' healing is cosmic, restorative, compassionate, and comprehensive. Cosmic, restorative, compassionate, and comprehensive. So first, Jesus' healing is cosmic. Cosmic. For a decent part of his earthly ministry, Jesus makes his home base this city called Capernaum. And it's a city on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's the home of Peter and Andrew. It's probably the home of James and John as well, these first four disciples that are called by Jesus. It's a place where Jesus both teaches, he proclaims the gospel, and he performs a lot of healing miracles in this city. And so you heard Mark Connect just a few minutes ago on that video mention this ministry for young people, an offshoot of young life, called Capernaum. Uh, This is where, biblically, that ministry gets its name, uh, from this city where Jesus did many of his healing miracles. And here in verse 23, while Jesus is then in the synagogue teaching at Capernaum, there's a man with an unclean spirit, a man who's possessed by a demon. And he cries out, interrupting in the middle of Jesus' teaching, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, to our modern ears, demonic oppression, demonic possession, maybe even the existence of unseen spiritual realities itself might sound antiquated. Uh, It might sound superstitious. It might sound uneducated. Kind of like the stuff of a day gone by when people could not explain psychosis or mental illness or things that now science and psychology and medicine have better explanations for. But you'll see, not only in the Gospel of Mark, but in all of the Gospel accounts, careful attention is given to differentiate between sickness and different kinds of physical conditions and demonic oppression. So occasionally they are tied together, but most of the time they are separate things and they were even considered separate things in the first century. So let's always be careful not to commit what C.S. Lewis once called chronological snobbery which means that we think ourselves smarter and superior to to generations gone by. Now, we have discovered a lot scientifically and psychologically since the first century, and praise God for that. But fundamental reality is and has always been and remains fundamental reality. And for us or anyone else to begin with an assumption that the supernatural or the spiritual does not exist is actually to begin from a reductionistic point of view, and that will lead us ultimately away from fundamental reality and not toward it. There's an unseen, spiritual, cosmic battle that rages between the powers of God and the powers of Satan. It's as as the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, that, that we do not wrestle against, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you and I, in reading something like this, can err in one of two ways. On the one hand, we can attribute every problem, every obstacle, every illness or condition to the demonic. Like, so if you go out on a road trip and you run out of gas on your road trip, you could be, man, this is the demons, or or that could just be that you didn't plan well enough ahead and you didn't fill up your tank early enough, right? We see even here in the Gospels, Jesus and his followers don't attribute everything to demons and the demonic. But we also see that Jesus confronts the demonic, the spiritual forces of evil, he confronts them on the regular. And so the other error we can make is to just categorically write off unseen spiritual realities and attempt to live our lives only dealing with the tangible, only dealing with the physical, what our eyes can see. Whenever we see Jesus confront the demonic, it points to this battle between the kingdom of God and the dominion of Satan. It shows us the cosmic scope of Jesus' healing. And thank God that he deals not only with the seen, but with the unseen. Because Satan, the usurper, Satan, the counterfeit ruler, Satan, the, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He hates God, He hates the people of God. He rages against them. And he seeks to do harm to you and me and any others that trust in Jesus in every way possible. Now that might come in seemingly small ways. The lies that he whispers to you in your particularly vulnerable moments about God not loving you, about God not being with you, it can take even greater expression in demonic oppression or even full-on possession like this man in the Capernaum Synagogue. But Jesus, the healer, has come to push back Satan's darkness. He has come to reclaim for God that which Satan seeks to steal and destroy. And so Jesus' exorcism of this man, it's a glimpse of this beautiful truth that God will not abandon his people, God will not abandon his world to the power of Satan and demons and evil. That he has come to bring cosmic healing. And so if this is new to you, or if you find yourself skeptical this morning, I would plead with you, search this out. Search this out. Don't just categorically write this off. And if today you have written this off, if you find yourself today, whatever you're dealing with, trying to address the brokenness in your own life, trying to address the sinfulness in your own life, or even as you serve other people in that, And you're doing that solely through the visible, physical realm, the things your eyes can see, the things your hands can touch. Invite other people to pray for you. Invite other people to pray for deliverance and for protection from any attacks or powers or lies from Satan that might be affecting you in that. Jesus came into the world to conquer the spiritual forces of evil. So don't cut yourself off. Don't run away from the cosmic aspect of his healing. Second, second, Jesus' healing is restorative. It's restorative. As I mentioned last week, uh, the Gospel of Mark is based on the Apostle Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus. And so this next instance of healing has special meaning, special significance to Peter because it's his own family member who's involved. Simon is another name for Peter. He's known as Simon or Peter or Simon Peter in different parts of Scripture. But Jesus and his disciples come to Peter's house. His mother-in-law, who lives there as well, is sick. She's bedridden with a fever. And as we read, Jesus takes her by the hand, he lifts her up, and the fever leaves her. She's healed. And then she begins to, to serve them. That last part, that she gets up after being healed and begins to serve them. At at first, that sounds a little odd, doesn't it? It might sound self-serving. It might even sound chauvinistic. Like, nice, Jesus. You healed this woman so she could wait on you, so she could prepare a meal for you and your friends. But that's not what this is at all. See, in this culture, hospitality was a huge deal, Way, way more than it is in our culture today. And it was largely the responsibility and even the opportunity of women in this culture to provide that hospitality for guests who would come. And so Peter's mother-in-law, bedridden with this fever, she's not just physically affected, of course she is, but she's also unable to live out an aspect of her identity. She's also unable in this moment to live out this role that she would probably enjoy playing most of the time of being a hospitality provider. So if you've ever been out of a job for an extended season when you've wanted a job, if you've been unable to care for your family when you've wanted to do that, if you've ever been stuck in a hospital bed for weeks, then you might know, you would know something of what Peter's mother-in-law feels in this moment. Not being able to play these kinds of significant roles in your life, it begins to wear wet, it begins to be an attack on your very identity. And so Jesus' healing here is restorative in every sense. It's, of course, physically restorative. Jesus is holistic in his ministry. He cares about the body. As a scholar named William Lane puts it, healing is a gracious movement of God into the sphere of withering and decay, which are the tokens of death at work in a person's life. He goes on to say, every healing then is a driving back of death and an invasion of the province of sin. But as Jesus restores her body to health, he also restores her to the wholeness that this fever has been robbing. And then, while they're still at Peter and Andrew's house, many more people gather at their door. People with a a variety of diseases are healed, and many people who have been tormented by demons are, are set free. We don't get a lot more details than that. But when we see this, all of those healings, we see an individual one and in his mother-in-law, and then we see like a mass healing in a ton of people. All of them are restorative. All of them are putting back together what has been fractured by sin. All of them are writing the things that have gone wrong. All of them are Jesus restoring bodies, restoring identities, and as we'll see in a moment, restoring us to God himself. And healing so many people in a short period of time helps us to really see the large-scale restorative work that Jesus has come to do that as he came proclaiming that the kingdom of God really is at hand, that he has inaugurated the restorative, the redemptive reign of God. So Jesus' healing is restorative. Jesus' healing is cosmic. Third, Jesus' healing is compassionate. It's compassionate. In verse 40, a leper comes to Jesus. Leprosy is a a skin disease. And whatever the specifics of this man's skin disease, it meant not only physical agony, but also isolation and ostracism. No contact with his friends or family. This man's only company would have been other people who also had leprosy. But in this scene, we see the compassion of Jesus. Compassion literally means, the literal meaning of the word compassion is to suffer with. To suffer with. And we see that play out here in two ways. First, Moved with pity, moved with compassion, Jesus touches this man. And we read that sentence in our own modern ears, our own modern culture. We read that sentence without perceiving the incredible love and grace and mercy that is immersed within it. Nobody touched lepers, ever, ever. So when was the last time that this man was dignified with physical contact from another human being? Had it been months Had it been years? Had it been a decade or more? And Jesus didn't have to touch him. Over and over, we will read in the gospel accounts, Jesus can heal people with merely a word. But when he heals this man, when he heals the the man with this disease, he touches him. Why? Because Jesus is not afraid to enter into our suffering. He isn't afraid to step into the brokenness and corruption of sin and its effects. And as he suffers with us, he also brings a healing that turns the world on its head. See, under the law given by God to Moses, people were to separate themselves from all uncleanness. And lepers were outcast because leprosy was unclean. And so anyone who came in contact then with a leper would him or herself become unclean. So to put it mathematically, the equation, the equation that these hearers, that these observers would have would have known, is that clean plus unclean equals unclean. At the end of that scenario, everybody involved is unclean. But Jesus brings a new equation: clean plus unclean now equals clean, because Jesus enters in and suffers with no longer. Will the clean be made unclean? In the kingdom of God, it's the other way around. Now the unclean are made clean. Now the light overcomes the darkness. Now the power of Jesus will overcome the power of sin to corrupt. It's as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, what the law, all those ceremonial laws about cleanness and uncleanness, what the law could never do, God in Jesus did and is doing right here in the Gospel of Mark. Now, we also see Jesus' compassion here in his willingness to trade places with this man. Though Jesus charges him not to, we read he immediately goes out and he talks freely about his healing. And he does that to the point that it becomes an obstacle for Jesus. So at the end of this scene, Jesus can no longer openly enter a town. He's relegated, as it says, to the desolate places. Commentator named James Edwards put it, puts it like this. He says, An adverse irony results. Jesus has relieved the leper of his burden, but in broadcasting the news, the leper imposes a burden on Jesus. See, the leper starts as the one on the outside, but in the end, healed and clean now, he's restored back to the community. Jesus, on the other hand, is on the outside, he's the one in the desolate places. And so this statement that the leper makes at the outset, if you will, you can make me clean. He's absolutely right about that. But he has no idea what he's really saying. What the actual cost will be. Without realizing it, he's saying that his only hope of healing is Jesus' willingness to trade places with him. And is this not our own question when it comes to healing? When it comes to our own diseases and our own debilitating conditions, when it comes to those that we love with special needs and disabilities, perhaps at times it's the power of God that we doubt. We doubt His power to do something about those situations. But I'm convinced more than that, it's not God's power that we doubt, it's His compassion, it's His willingness. Jesus, if you will, you can heal this. You can heal this cancer. You can correct this genetic condition. Are you you willing, Jesus? What we see in Mark is that he is. He is willing. Why will he heal some and not others? Why will he perform a mass healing in one place and then leave many unhealed in another? Why will some of us in our own lives be restored to full health and others of us face debilitating conditions for our whole lives? I don't know. And I don't really expect to have a personal answer for any given individual this side of heaven. But what we do know and what we see so clearly here is that Jesus is willing. Even when we don't know what we're asking, what we don't, we don't know what the actual cost will be, Jesus is willing to trade places with you. And that, of course, points us forward to the cross. Not, not only is Jesus willing to heal the symptoms and the effects of sin, he is willing to heal you and me of sin itself. See, with this man, he trades places of social standing. On the cross, Jesus trades places with us for salvation. He becomes our substitute. He takes our place so that we might take his. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get to take the place of Jesus and all his righteousness, and he takes our place and the penalty of our sin upon himself. And this leads us to the last scene in our text and the last characteristic of Jesus' healing that we get to consider today that his healing is comprehensive, comprehensive. This paralyzed man is brought to Jesus. We're in chapter 2 now. But the crowd is so big, you might be familiar with the story, there's no way to get close to Jesus. And so four friends carry him up an outdoor staircase. They make a hole in the roof so they can lower him down next to Jesus. It's incredible love for their friend. It's incredible persistence to get to Jesus. And so sometimes when we read this account, we rush to the application of how we should go to to selfless and persistent measures to help alleviate suffering and to be instruments of God's healing in the world. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Let us be people who love and care for and pour ourselves out for the sake of those with significant needs, with mental and physical disabilities. But in that pursuit... Don't miss the answer here to one of the fundamental questions of Scripture, one of the fundamental questions of life itself. Why did Jesus come into the world? Because seeing the faith of this man, seeing the faith of his friends, Jesus turns to him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And this paralyzed man must have thought, like, that's not exactly what I had in mind, Jesus. It's not exactly what I was thinking. I live in Capernaum where you've done this mass healing not all that long ago. So for weeks I've been meeting people and I've been hearing the stories of how you healed so many diseases and illnesses and how you cast out so many demons of people. I'm here because I would like to walk. And it's understandable, is it not? That's why he came. The scribes, the Jewish religious leaders, they hear Jesus say this and they start to internally flip out they rightly understand that Jesus is claiming to do something here that God alone can do. And by making the statement that only God can make, Jesus truly here is claiming to be God. And perceiving then their questions and their anger, Jesus asks, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And it's a brilliant question. It's a brilliant question. On the one hand, it's easier to say, Your sins are forgiven because there's no tangible evidence to prove that it it happened or didn't happen. Like if if something can't be observed, you and I can say anything we want. I can fly, but only when no one else is around. And in my previous life, I was a turtle. Like there's no way to prove that, so I can say whatever I want. But on the other hand, in reality, it's actually easier to, to, to say, rise and get up and walk. Why? because no one but God can forgive sins. And in order to forgive sins, in order to do away with the root cause for all that has gone wrong with the world and to forgive you and I, we who have done the offending, Jesus is going to pay the infinite cost himself. And so in reality, it is infinitely more difficult to forgive sins, even if there's no immediately observable evidence. By performing the miracle they can see, this healing, Jesus is proving here that he also has the authority, also has the ability to perform the miracle they can't, which is the forgiveness of this man's sin. And this is why Jesus came into the world. He came to heal comprehensively. And his definition of healing goes far deeper and far beyond what we might even realize we need. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Though this man, this paralyzed man, came looking for physical healing, what he really needs goes to the very core of his life. His biggest, as substantial as that problem is of not being able to walk is, his biggest problem isn't that he can't walk. It's that he, like you and me and everyone else who has ever lived on the face of the earth, turns away from and offends the one true God. That we need forgiveness from the only one who can really forgive. Jesus' comprehensive healing means that he will give us what we actually need, not what we think we need, not what we might even come to him asking for. Now, he does heal this man, but not because that's this man's deepest need. He, he does it because he loves him, because by healing him, he's proven that he has come to heal comprehensively, up to and including the forgiveness of sin. Jesus did not come into this world to be a a public spectacle, to to wow the crowds with his power. Back in chapter 1, verse 38 that we read, when there's a crowd looking for him, he leaves. It's the opposite of what you want to do when you're trying to gain a huge following of people, to go away from the crowd. He doesn't want demons or healed lepers telling people about his healing. He he quiets both of them in in this text. He doesn't want people missing the point. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel to to bring the kingdom of God and his healings display and validate that intangible work that he is doing of restoring all things to the goodness with which they were created. The intangible work of making the unclean clean. The intangible work of meeting the deepest need of the human heart, which is our salvation. So, perhaps, perhaps the reason that Jesus leaves some of us physically unhealed why he did that in the first century, why that continues today, perhaps some of that is this, that though he is willing, he loves us enough to never let us miss the point, to never let us settle for the alleviation of sin's effects and symptoms when what we really need is to be healed of sin itself. Jesus loves us to never let us stop short at being amazed at the miraculous work he can do when, we, when what we most need is to love him for his own sake, to be in a relationship with him and to love him for who he is. Now that will feel, I don't say that lightly, that will feel utterly unsatisfying at times. Especially if you think about people like Anna and Mark and Deb And other people who have special needs or disabilities are lifelong conditions that are so debilitating. So may we never cease to cry out for God to bring physical healing and restoration to people in our time and place because truly he can and he does sometimes. But even if that doesn't come in the lives of the men and women that you know, praise God for their presence among us. Praise God for their lives. These men and women are are among the brightest spotlights that point to the greater and more fundamental realities of life itself. That whatever our circumstances or conditions, whatever the state of our minds or bodies, what we most need and what is held out to all of us through the place-trading compassion of Jesus is to be known and to be forgiven and to be loved by God. So let us be people who pour ourselves out for the sake of those with special needs and disabilities, who serve and love as instruments of Jesus' cosmic and restorative and comprehensive compassion. And whether we get to experience the physical manifestations of Jesus' healing in this life or not, may you know for certain that Jesus is not only able, but willing to heal in the way we most desperately need. And all that sin and Satan have broken and destroyed in this world, all that the havoc that sin has wrought will one day be healed by the only one who truly can heal, our great God and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, our only hope in this world is that in life, and death, in body and soul, we belong to you. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in communion with the Holy Spirit, help us to trust you. Jesus, you came proclaiming the reign of God, preaching the good news of God's kingdom. You came preaching the forgiveness of sins. You healed the sick. You bound up the brokenhearted. Bring your healing to us. Make us instruments of your healing in the lives of others and in this world. Pray that cosmically, restoratively, compassionately, comprehensively. Heal us, we pray. Thank you for your own compassion that is not only able, but willing to trade places with us to take not only the effects of sin, but sin itself upon your back, that we might be healed. And as we now come to this table to remember, to enact, to participate in your grace, meet us again by your spirit, and bring your healing to bear in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.